yes. I understand you have rooms to let. Some friends and I have formed a musical group. We have been looking for somewhere to practice. Let's get a professional. Mrs. Wilberforce, not a mere appendage to my plan. She's a very core. How do we know we can trust her to do it right if she don't even know what she's doing? Mrs. W should be coming into view just about now. Ah, uh, but then... I wonder if perhaps you'd like some tea? Tea, coffee, mend the plumbing, give the parrot his medicine. We've got to get away. What do you think we should do? Charter a bus? Most exhilarating. She saw the money, she'll talk. Take care of Mrs. W. How about suicide? I ain't gonna do it. You're in this just as much as we are. Gentlemen. <laughs> it is a good plan, except for the human element. Transmission will start in five seconds from now. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to Waffle On Podcast. My name is Simon Meddings. I'm Mark Kelly. And uh, what are we talking about today, Cal? We are doing the Lady Killers. We are doing the Lady Killers. That sounds we quite sexualised. We are doing the Lady Killers. <laughs> <laughs> I just realised my voice went then, just as we were talking, which is about right. I had a very quiet voice then. And, uh, we spent 20 minutes just talking about crap, and then as soon as we come to do the podcast... Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, now, this is the first time you've seen this film. It is the first time I've seen it, which is, I can't... It's one of them ones that I can't believe I haven't saw it. And uh, yeah, but I really, really liked it. You really liked it. Okay, well, look. Do you know why? Well, I said, oh. I think, right, I'll, 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 quickly, I think when it was a kid, right, you always talked about, well, not a kid, you know, a young man, you always talked about healing stuff, right? And I always found healing stuff a bit twee for me. Mm. But as I've got older and I watch it, I definitely appreciate it. I think it's just me maturing in my film yeah. thing because I was so action and sci fi and violence. I thought, I don't want to watch an old film where there's nothing happening in it. But then it's when I watch it when I'm older and you realise the darkness is in there that I missed when I was younger. And I really, really enjoyed it. I think I just like matured for my films, I think, that kind of thing. And what, what, did, you, what did you really like about this? What stood out for you? I, I, I don't know. I think the implied violence in it is quite dark. Mm. You know what I mean? Because I, I thought when I was a kid, I thought, oh, God, it's like there's going to be no, you know, you don't see anything. But when you, the stuff that actually happens, when you think about it, it's a fucking dark, bloody film, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. And that, really? that's what I liked about it. I love the robbery. I think the robbery thing was, yeah, again, funny, but actually quite violent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I think that's what it was, what I liked about it. I thought, oh, yeah, there's the bloody darkness in there. It's like, it's just in there. you got the you got the classic, um, the classic koshies in it, the rubber koshies. That Herbert Lom has, you know what I mean? And you, you think, oh man, they must have been, you know, quite quite painful to have it. Yeah. <laughs> and if you think about it as well, I, I don't know when it won, when the great train robbery, mm. the, the guard was coshed. Yes. Yeah. And it left him brain damage, isn't it? Brain damage all his life. And then people yeah. think, oh, being coshed, it's, it's, a, it's, you know, it's not that bad. It's bloody bad. Yeah. And I, it, I don't know if that was a little mini joke around with the cosh and that. I don't know. I think it was, wasn't, it, wasn't it 63 or something like that, the Great Train it's funny, I, can't, I don't know. Anyway, but yeah, and that's what I liked about it. All that stuff, the robbery was amazing. 
Okay, cool. Well, look, we'll go for the uh, the, the boring bits. Who people are, and then uh, and then you can tell us what you actually uh, think of all the other people. Now, this was directed by Alexander McKendrick, uh, born September eighth, nineteen twelve, to December the twenty second, ninety three. He's an American Scottish director. He began making television commercials before moving into post production editing and directing films, most notably for Ealing, uh, which included Whiskey Galore and also The Man in the White Suit. I don't know if you've seen yeah. the have you seen the man in the white suit? I, I know that film really well. It used to always be on the BBC BBC two, didn't it? When they used to put films on the Yeah. No, they used to put good films on. Um it was produced by uh, Michael Balkan and it was written by the story and written by William Rose Starring. Now, um there's only really a few people in this film, so we'll, we'll talk about all of them. And the first one, obviously, is Sir Alec Guinness, C H C B E, born Alec Guinness de Cuff. And the second day of April nineteen fourteen, in May of our London. Passed away not that long ago, really, uh, 5th of August 2000. So yeah. it, it really wasn't that long ago. Um, after an early career on stage, Guinness uh, was featured in several of the Ealing comedies, including the wonderful Kind Hearts and Coronets in 1949, in which he played nine different characters. The Lavender Hill Mob in 51. He got his first Academy Award nomination for that. The Lady Killers, which we talk about now. Uh, he, co- he collaborated six times with director David Lean, and Herbert Pocket in Great Expectations. He played Fagin in Oliver Twist. Uh, he was in Bridge of the River Kwai. Uh, he was also in Doctor Zavago, Lawrence of Arabia, Passes to Interview, in, in, interview India. And he played Jacob Marley's Ghost uh, in Scrooge, uh, which I think is one of the best ones I've done. Of course, a lot of people will know him uh, for, uh, as playing Obi-Wan Kenobi in yeah. Star Wars. Um, how do you find Ali Guinness in this film? Scary. Yeah. I, 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 because I think on the surface, it's his smile in it, isn't it? I know you've yeah. got to think you're going to talk about his smile, you about <laughs> Alice, isn't it? Uh, but it's that, that it's something very, very creepy about him, isn't that? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because like I said, so my, we'll go on, but my favourite character in it is like Herbert Lum in it, but anyway, because <laughs> I love Herbert Lum, but we'll go about that. Hey, Dreyfus. I was thinking Dreyfus. Anyway. <laughs> Um, I just, I don't know, it's like that you, I think, because you think of him, he's such a, you know, a legendary actor in Britain, a bit like Lawrence of, uh, you know, Lawrence of Arabia, a bit like uh, Lawrence Olivier, that you can't imagine him doing a part like that, because I said I've never seen it, and I've always heard about it, you always heard about it, you think, bloody hell, he's sinister in that, even though he's mega polite. Yeah. Which is where uh, Sinister comes from, doesn't it? Exactly. I Mm. think the creepiness, you could have had him going a bit over the... That was my problem with the remake with Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. That yeah. it is a bit too overtly creepy with that. He's just polite and smart, but it's that fucking grin he's got in <laughs> his teeth. Oh yeah, yeah. He he wears uh, obviously he wears false teeth in that, and he's got a wig on. And um, the whole thing is bad because when he originally got the script, he turned around and says, "This is some mistake. This is uh, this is definitely an Alistair Sim role." And uh, when he was offered the role, he turned around and said, well, this is so much like Alice the Sim, how he would portray stuff like um, Scrooge and, and all that, that he, um, he adopted, he uh, mimicked um, Alice the Sim for it. And when you look at the two actors, they are very similar. Um, Alice the Sim's very an, an interesting character in real life. I've got his uh, autobiography, well, biography upstairs written by his wife. I haven't started reading yet. There was no, there's no other books about him. Um, no, yeah, no he, he didn't do interviews. And, uh, I don't think he did really hardly any interviews. He was very closed, did his job, and, and went away. So there's always that kind of myth about Alice to see him. And, um, and the, his, even, uh, his opening mannerisms, his opening words are uh, Mrs. Wilberforce, is exactly as you, know, you imagine yeah, Alice yeah. to see him. But, I mean, we'll talk about that in the, with the film in a bit. Um, Cecil Parker... Uh, now, he uh, was born Cecil Schwab on the 3rd of September 1897 in Hastings. What? <laughs> I know, passed away in 1971. Um, he made 91 films made between 1928 and 1969, uh, always with a, a very much of a, a demur, so he was always like playing people like the major. Uh, here's your favourite one. Now, this is really hard to say his real name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I do apologise. I am going to screw this up. Herbert, Charles, Angelo, Kuchisaveki, Z, Schluder, Paschal. Now, professionally, is Herbert Lom, uh, born 11th of September 1917 in Prague. Yeah, I know. uh, And passed away September 2012. He was the last person out of all of these actors to pass away. 
Uh, he's most uh, well known for playing, of course, your favourite character, Dreyfus, in the Pink Panther uh, franchise. Interesting fact about this: he wears a hat virtually. He does take it off every now and again, yeah. but he wears a hat virtually for the whole of this film. The reason was is that he shaved his head for playing the Yul Brenner part in the King and I on theatre. Oh, right. At the same time. So if you notice throughout the film, he goes from very short hair to no yeah. hair to a little bit of hair. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I like him because I think he's like the, he's the most overtly violent one, isn't he? Isn't he? He's where he carries a knife. And... He's got the knife and that. He's, he always wants to go. It's him doing, he wants to do most of the killing. It's his ideas, isn't it? I just, like I said, I love him as Drake. I've just... I've watched loads of films of him growing up, and he's always he's had an amazing career. Oh yeah, a bit like James Mason, and he that you know they went to Hollywood. You saw him growing up in loads of different films. Yeah, I love We we should do every now and again. We should do a um an episode on a particular actor and just sort of like go through all the all the. I mean, not at least the whole guy. No, no, no podcast. No, no. Or, um, or George Kennedy. Start bloody or, or Brian Dennehy. Yeah, yeah, Brian Dennehy. Start <laughs> bloody hell. You've been there Peter Sellers. Okay, Peter Sellers, born uh, CBE, born Richard Henry Sellers, 8th of September 2020, 2025, 1925, and passed away in uh, July the 24th, 1980. Well known at this point of his life for being in The Goon Show. Um, he featured in a few um, smaller, like, walk-on parts. Well, this was his first major film. And then he became most well-known, along with Richard Dreyfuss, of course, as uh, Inspector Clouseau in the Pink Panther films. You can tell, actually, in this film how nervous Peter Sellers oh, is. Do you know, I was going to say to you, when, when I was watching it, because I hadn't saw it, I was expecting Peter Sellers, the mm. Peter Sellers' larger in life. But he's sort of a bit shy in it, isn't he? Oh, yeah. That's the thing. He's in the background, and he's like... I've got a bigger film when I saw with Peter Sellers where he's like dominated by all the other actors, a lot bigger personalities in him. Mm. And he doesn't do a lot in it, really, does he? He's just a bit, he's a bit naive. He's a bit, I don't know, not naive. I mean, you can see that he was nervous, wasn't, wasn't yeah. he? I yeah. think because he, he loved Alec Guinness, didn't he? Oh, yeah, he was in total all of Alec Guinness. Uh, and all, I mean, he, he, he'd followed him for many uh, films. And he's also, this is the point as well where um, he's mainly just doing radio shows. And Peter Sellers was very well known for being fairly body conscious. Um, oh, there's a reason why he had quite a bit of plastic surgery, hair weave being yeah. done, and, and couldn't be himself in interviews. And if you notice in this film, and this is not body shaming whatsoever, he's in, he's quite a, a big fellow in this film. Yeah, he's quite yeah, a chubby yeah. fellow. He's not a thin, he's not the thin Peter Sellers you get to know later on. And I think he became slightly obsessed with his looks, um, which dominated a lot of his career, unfortunately. But He's really not the Peter Sellers you get to know and love later on. You know, he's clearly um, in the first realms of his, his acting career. And I like that, though, because you get to see somebody who is not as you know them as and somebody who is like, this is person just don't know. It's like when you go back and you watch early black and white films and you see Michael Caine and Oliver Reed and Patrick McGowan walking yeah. on in the background, you yeah, know, yeah, doing yeah. little bit parts and, and, and stuff like that. And you think this is them starting off in their careers. You know, yeah. I, I love stuff like that. Um, Danny Green, uh, he's a big fellow, uh, born 26th of May 1903, uh, passed away in 1973, an English character actor, but regularly in film, TV and stage, including playing comic gangsters in the original productions of Guys and Dolls and Do Re Mi. One of his last roles was as Lord Surrey in Randall and Hopkirk, deceased episode, Just for the Record. Um, and there's a couple of, uh, uh, are we going to mention, let's mention first of all, one of the most important people in this film, uh, who plays Mrs. Wilberforce, Bessie Kate Katie Johnson, born 18th of November 1878, uh, <laughs> passed away, sadly, only two years after this film, in 1957. Uh, she first appeared in a film at the age of 53 and, <laughs> and never really received any critical acclaim, apart from when she'd made, at the age of 76, this film. Uh, it earned a, a British Film Academy Award for uh, Best British Actress, and the producer and director insisted that her name go above everybody else's as oh. a bit of a homage to her. Oh, that's uh, right. She's amazing, isn't it? Because she's, she's so, so irritating. Yeah. <laughs> but, but lovely. Oh, absolutely. That's absolutely. Thing, isn't it? Um, now there's two, uh, there's actually three other people, but I'm not going to talk too much about them. Now, the other one is Jack Warner, who became most well known, uh, ironically, 
for playing uh, PC George Dixon in Dixon of Dark Green from 55 to 76. Uh, they also did the film uh, The Blue Lamp, which, of course, he gets killed in that film. And strangely enough, he appears for the TV series. Yeah. Um, it became one of the most popular TV programs at the time. And ironically, he's playing a policeman in this film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Frankie Howard pops up, a very young Frankie Howard, yeah. complete with his own hair, I do believe. Uh, in this film, and of course, Kenneth Connor does as well. Now, you noticed that, didn't you? Straight away, that like, is like, like I said, I you know, growing up with like like in Carry On, and mm. especially when he was in a low, low, when it was really funny. Uh, I know you can't really talk about a low, low these days, but I did like a low, low when I was a kid. But, um, it's that's amazing little scene, isn't it? These become really big British comedians, mm. even though that scene is a very odd little scene, isn't it? Oh yeah, with yeah, the yeah. horse and all that, isn't it? <laughs> well, Frank it's Howard. like a comedy. It's like a comedy farce, and it's almost yeah. like it has to go in. But it's it shows the the kind of the the chaos that Mrs. Wilberforce yeah, yeah. produces because he's not really beating the horse up. He's just having a go at the horse for eating his apples. He's cocked <laughs> As he said, which makes me laugh there. Just a little note here about um, uh, Katie uh, Johnson, who played Mrs. Wilberforce. This is something I thought you'd really not like to know, is that um, she also appeared in the BBC science fiction serial The Quatermass Experiment in 1953 and played a spy in I See a Dark Stranger in 1946. Bloody hell, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. that's got out. Now, you know what we haven't done? What? Apart from Hear My Dog's Barking, which is wonderful. Uh, what have we done, Cal? Which we normally do before we talk about the film. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because we got straight into it. Let's, let's uh, go back in time and play yeah. the theme tune. <laughs> there by uh, Tristan Carey now the, the, we play the one minute version of that there is a seven minute version of it and I thought our listeners might be a bit uh, yeah, yeah. A, bit, a bit strong out for this um, I, I know as you know we always put a little bit of a clip of something at the end of the episode for those uh, loyal listeners who um, stay towards the end and it's an interview with Alec Guinness from 1986 on the David Letterman show it's quite an interesting interview well, yeah, I haven't ever seen that it's on YouTube it's on YouTube yeah and it's at I'm the end of the podcast that. I don't bother going to YouTube yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the release date of this film was the 8th of December 1955 and a wonderful 97 minutes, uh, which I, I, I think is, you know, a, a perfect set for film. And again, I know we always talk about this, and because it's obviously this, this is the first one of the first scene in comedies to be shot in Technicolor, a lot of people think that the film is it was done in black and white, and that's because all the promotional shots for Lady Killers was in uh, black and white. It's such a beautiful colorizer. I've got the 4K version on Blu-ray, double disc, and I've got it. And you also get the uh, the aspect ratio, so you can have the box ratio, or you can have the widescreen ratio. Yeah, I yeah. widescreen. And the 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 picture is stunning. It yeah. is absolutely stunning. Now this is only what nine years after the Second World War, um, and but the you know the when, by the time of filming, doesn't London look quite nice? Yeah, I mean, there's yeah, some yeah. bits that look a bit scraggy, but it's kind of like really, you know, clean. <laughs> now, the interesting thing I was going to say to you, is that uh, a backlot that they're filming on there, or was that a street somewhere? No, um, the house was made, it was built, 
Um, what you're looking at when she opens the door and look out is Argyle Street. Now, it's exactly the same. Uh, it's all filmed around King's Cross, right? It's all filmed around King's Cross. Argyle Street hasn't changed. So when she's opening the door and you see up towards the end of that road is King's Cross, that's still there. It hasn't changed. The only thing not there is the red telephone box because that's yeah. a prop, which was used throughout the film. It's a sign telephone box. Uh, right? yeah. um, so that's Argyle Street. The house was built on Frederica Street, okay? Um, so it was literally built there for the film. Um, that is no longer there. None of that is there anymore because it all got redeveloped and is now like a small independent housing site. The bridge where they throw the bodies off is still there, but it's cornered off and you can't actually get to it okay? uh, for, for obvious reasons. Um, there's a bit where in the film where Peter Sellers is standing by a row of, uh, of railings and the major comes running out of the house when he sees the police were turned up. That is on the corner of St. Chad Street and Argyle Street. Uh, and that is still there, and it looks exactly the same. Just that the, the railings are no longer black; they uh, are red. Uh, yeah. So yeah, so and obviously the house is a set. It's obviously that's in the yeah, 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 like that. But no, the house is, uh, was purposely built. Oh right, because there's also link because there's that weird using the use really. I saw asked you this last week about this. They use really weird pickup shots sometimes in it. Mm. Where it's like back projection. It's like one scene or something. And it's really weird. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of back projection when it when it comes to the back garden and the the side bits and stuff like that. But there is on on the Blu-ray. There's a really nice on location documentary on there. It's only on for about three minutes, and I think you can see something very similar on YouTube as well, where they go around the places. King's Cross has changed an awful lot because, like a lot of train stations in England, Euston, King's Cross. Um, yeah, they'll be done up. Where's the other one? Um, Euston, King's Cross, Euston. Victoria. Uh, you, you used to be able to drive a car into the train station and unload and all this guys. Obviously, you can't do that now with terrorism and everything yeah. like that. And so it's all been redeveloped. So a lot of the things, the, the place where you see them do the robbery is no longer there. Uh, but the bit where you see them in a telephone box or they're all cramming into a telephone box is still there. And the pub on the corner is still there. And oh, the, little, right. the little flower bed island with the railings around it is still there. Um, so there's quite a few there's quite a few nice little locations there but there's some nice little videos on youtube and also on the blu-ray which 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 takes you around and i, I love stuff like that you know i love seeing like behind the scenes and, and where other places are i think what you can see as well so i was going to say to you about like alien what did he would alien like low budget or with a like a big budget studio no, like like all, all British studios from the 1930s to the 1950s, everything was fairly low budget. Because you um, could see film, it would have cost hardly anything to make, wouldn't you? No, no, not you at all. Play this. Has it ever been applied on a bit? There may well be something that in the, in the fact section oh, of the podcast. You have could, a I was thinking when I was watching this, you could easily do a play, couldn't you? Easily. Uh, there was a play. In 2011, the film was adapted as a play by Graham Linehan. Oh. Um, it premiered in the Liverpool Playhouse in November that year before transferring to the Gilgood Theatre in London with Peter Capaldi as oh. Professor Marcus. All right. Because uh, it's like a play, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. All, you can see them loads and loads of rehearsal to get all them falling about and that and climbing over things. And I was thinking when you watch that, it looks so natural, but it must have taught so many rehearsals to do the timing. Oh, exactly, yeah. Especially when there's, there's like perfectionists going on, like uh, Alec Guinness and, and all that. But, uh, yeah. Um, so let's go through the film. Um, Mrs. Wilberforce, it's, it's first we see Mrs. Wilberforce walking out of the, the house and then going to the police station. And we see a shadowy figure watches her. And then uh, she goes through, the, through her own house, through the windows. Um, you, you can tell straight away she's a bit of a, um, not, not, a, not a busybody, but she's just sort of like, Thinks you know she likes to tell the police that if she thinks something's going on. I like that build up of her character that she's yeah. somebody who has apologises for her friend who thought she saw um, fantasies. You know. Well, that yeah. that's an interesting thing as well. She's talking about like a UFO. Now in 1955, that wasn't such a big bloody thing. No, no, because it was after the war, and then most of them, you know, I suppose you had quite a mass in, and that I think that's what's interesting, but. When I was thinking, when I was thinking, why the hell is she talking about that? But it's only when the ending you think that's what's brilliant writing about it, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the way it all comes, all comes all together. All comes back that, round, doesn't it? It's a fantasist. Do you like the build-up of the fact that there's somebody been following her throughout the da- throughout the day, even when she goes and checks out the um, 
the newspaper stand to see if anyone's looked at the advertisement and then slowly going on. And I love the way it builds up to the, the uh, Marcus character walking up to the door. It's a well-known shot, that is. Everyone's seen it, you know, in any kind of film yeah. fan will have seen it. But the whole introduction of him, of him in that is, I think, just brilliant. And the fact she doesn't think anything's weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the weird thing is there, that half your house is, like, condemned, but you can still rent a room out. Bit I know, yeah. Top. That's <laughs> been different times, isn't it? And it looks like a really nice house from the outside, yeah, right, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, you know, in in London at that point. Bloody hell. Yeah. Um, so then we get introduced to the other characters in this, uh, and they decide that they they really are there to do a string quartet. That's a really nice build up, that is the way that they only they only play the one song, don't they, throughout the whole yeah, the whole yeah, thing. Yeah. Even when it's all going pear shaped and the, the music's still playing and Herbert Lund's up there and he just takes the record player off and just smashes it. Yeah, I yeah, love yeah. that. It's such a subtle kind of thing, that is. Um, her memory about um, the whole thing of the tw- her 21st birthday uh, is quite a nice little touch, I think. Do you know what I mean? It goes into her details of who she is and everything like that. And you kind of feel slightly sorry for her, really. Well, I, I think that's the interesting thing with that, you know, that character's so well, so well, well rounded is... You do feel sympathy for her, but she's also fucking irritating. Yeah. And I think that's what's really good with a character, isn't it? That yeah. you know, they could have made it to one note where she's too sweet and she never does nothing wrong, but she does do things wrong to yeah. people. Like that, well, as we'll go with the famous scene, we'll go in there in a bit. And that's what I like about her, isn't it? That you do wanna you do want to shut her up sometimes. Yeah. You just, Shut up! Yeah, especially <laughs> you want going... to get away with it. You know, I, I, yeah. I like that with writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to support the bad guys. You want them to get away, don't you? Well, that, that's the thing as well. When she keeps going, uh, get a tea, yeah. a coffee. And you kind of think, oh, and I think that what the writer's trying to do there is build it up so you would turn around and say, oh, I probably would do her in as well. Yeah. You know, she's getting yeah. that annoying. That would you do her in? I like that kind of balance of it, really, when it brings it up. I always think as well, do you think like... Uh... What's the tea lady out of um, Father oh, Ted? Mrs. Yeah, Doyle. Uh, I think there's a Mrs. Doyle in that. And who did that? Graham Linehan. Graham Linehan, Father Ted, yeah. There's got to yeah. be something in that the way that is. I really think so. I think, that, I think that's very, very influenced by it, I think. got to be in it. The yeah. way Mrs. Doyle's like constantly nice, but you're fucking irritating. <laughs> what do you think about the, uh, the, the... There's a lot of farce in this film as well. We're still in that British... Theatrical yeah. world of the farce. I'm not a massive fan of farce, really. I don't yeah. mind little bits in it, like in Pink Panther, but yeah. I like more wordplay in, in my humour. But you're right, that's still in there. It's like trains are falling down and slipping over, <laughs> isn't it? They're falling through the chair. I do like the whole thing yeah, with the parrot. The chair. It's like, <laughs> that, it's such a. You would never do that in a company now, would you? Because people would be like, why would you stand on the chair when you're that big? But it's funny, isn't it? it the fact that he actually really loses his temper with it and ends up smashing it off. He's quite good. I know the fact that Marcus just walks up, walks up, and he looks up, and the parrot just goes on his arm. Yeah. He walks in, he's looking up at him all doing that, going, "Oh no, what the hell are you doing?" Um, the whole build up to the the robbery, I think, is fabulous. It's really well done. It's really timed really well. And also when it starts to go slightly wrong, where the fact she keeps losing that bloody umbrella. Yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah, like, it's like it's it's such a setup for it, isn't it? Even the end bit as we'll get with the umbrella. Yeah. It's like, but it really, really works, doesn't it? Because she's constantly going on about that thing, yeah. about that thing. But the mad thing is like London then, the way it was no security. In the, in the, no. You no, just no, walk no. in and put your, pick someone's case up. <laughs> well, that's why you turn around and say at one point, because we, don't suggest stealing it again. The whole robbery thing is so is so well done. So like they they cost the two guys and then they get seen. They drove off and I'm not too sure what that car is. Part of me thinks it's a Zephyr, but I'm not too sure the one that Peter Sellers drives. But it's a it's a wonderful car, and I can't help but think that all the cars in that film just look beautiful. Uh, yeah, well, I think you're right there about the. I think it's what uh, Quentin Tarantino said about this film because he loves this film. Mm. That what what centers it is. Uh, in all in all bank robbery films, you've got to have a good bank robbery. Yeah, it's got to be good, and it's got to be thought out. Not just walking in a bank with a gun. And and I think a bit like we did with Legal Gentleman, that yeah. you know it's got to be well done because it makes the rest of the film good. Because I think if it was just them walking in holding someone up, you would have thought, well, they wouldn't have gone through all that trouble to do that, would they? No, and that's no. what I like about it. It's that best laid plan to mice and men, isn't it? That yeah. it's all built up. But it's so intricate that it's going to fall down, isn't it? Yeah, 
Yeah, but as it's he, overly thought, isn't it? As he says, the only thing that you can't take into account is the human element, yeah. which you keep saying about that. It's the last line in the film as well, which is quite interesting. Um, all the whole thing breaks out with Frankie Howard and Kenneth Connor as a taxi driver who, who strange enough, uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't seem to age, does he, Kenneth Connor? That's what really look like he did in bloody, you know, and he's, I like Kenneth Connor, but, it, you know, even in a lower low, he's like, <laughs> He, he, you know, his jokes, his trousers falling down and breaking <laughs> wings, weren't it? Yeah, that's very, really. But is that, like, you're right. He was right out of you. I didn't know. He didn't look any different, did he? You're obsessed with trousers falling down today. No, no, it's just, just before you <laughs> can't get it. He was always in the... You know what? I was watching The Simpsons the other day and you forget right. that Grandpa Simpson's trousers keep falling down. <laughs> like I said, I, I don't like fast, but it makes me laugh. Yeah. I hate myself for it. <laughs> that was probably funny. <laughs> um, they will get back to the police station, of course. And what you suddenly find out is, is that um, <laughs> the taxi driver, <laughs> taxi driver is no longer a taxi driver because he can't handle doing the job because of Mrs. Wilberforce. Yeah, the other yeah. guy's been arrested and lost his lost his, three people: the guy with the horse and cart, the greengrocer, and the yeah. taxi driver have all lost their jobs in the space of that time with Mrs. Wilberforce. Well, that's the thing is, and they're all them are watching them, aren't they? It's yeah. like you've only been met him for 15 minutes. You know, she said she'd been in three people's lives. <laughs> there's a bit in it as well where when the, when the police carry in the trunk in, and he goes, in, I don't know if you notice it, but there's Mrs. Wilberforce is standing on Alec Guinness's scarf. And I don't know if you notice, but he's trying to pull it off like that. And he pulls it up in the air, but he's still in character. Yeah. And it's a wonderful bit because if you know, there's, there's some really subtle bits which we can't we can't blow by Phillips because it's 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 visual jokes. Yeah. But some of the jokes that Ali Guinness facial acting is superb in this film where he's like looking one bewildered, two flabbergasted. Yeah. Three getting annoyed, and four trying to be charming. Yeah. You know, and all of them are kind of like considering he looks this sinister. Do you know what I mean? And it's just brilliant the way that he does those. Again, they're the only things you see if you if you're actually watching the film. Um, the only thing that knocks me a little bit. Right, is that it's very predictable that these it's it's one round uh, who's the the, the dunce of the the four who's yeah. the one who gets his cello strap stuck in the door. Uh, Do you yeah, know what I, mean? I was going to say to you that's the only bit I didn't like. Yeah, because it's too. It was like as if that to find a way of getting that case open, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. And I think I think if they did that now, they'd find a bit better. I can't remember what happens with the Tom Hanks, but anyway, but that bit's a bit. You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't do that, would you? With that no. amount of money in there, you wouldn't do that. You're just going to open the door because yeah, you just knock on the door. Know, oh, she doesn't much. know they've got the money, so why the scale over there? And but that's they, the only bit. Yeah, but that. But they're again, saying that. Though, I just, I just, I don't mind that happening. But I just rather it have been maybe the major yeah. or something like that. Because because it's the dunce, you kind of think, oh well, he's an idiot, and that's why that's why that would happen. I like the fact that that's how she finds that she starts to trick that. Mm, what's going on here? The money, and then suddenly all of her, all those women come back, all the old ladies come back yeah, with the yeah. newspaper, and it's the, the look of almost like a child being found out when Alec Guinness drops the paper down, and he's yeah, looking yeah. there, going, "Oh, we've been caught out here." <laughs> yeah, so it's yeah. the way he's trying to say about the England England India score, and he goes, "Oh, the sixty thousand runs." Yeah, <laughs> Um, now the bit I don't know if you laughed at this I burst out laughing out loud you know when he comes to the tea party and Alec Guinness is sitting there playing the piano and the way that he just looks up at you know, the Herman Lum character with total sort of like oh no what's yeah, happened yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I do like the fact when they talk about it, it'd be no good to take the money back um, that whole thing the, the fact that they're saying at the end of the day the insurance would have paid for it and they'll have put a farthing on every kind of yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. thing to, to pay it back and she nearly falls for it she nearly goes for it and then he realises she's not going for it and she tells the mate you know the major explains it's for her, his very ill mum uh, and then when she when she still doesn't do it the way <laughs> the way the major goes uh, you're a cruel woman <laughs> and Peter says it as well and then uh, they, they Herbert Lanton and Van says oh the police are going to be after you you know, yeah. they, they make up that other robbery that she's... she's well, that's why I like the Herbert Lum. He's, like, always in... Uh, he's the only one who's in it, really, to me. He's like a proper criminal. Yeah, yeah. When he's constantly thinking that it's his idea when we get to get rid of her, and it's his idea to scare her, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And that's oh, yeah, why I like absolutely. I think you need that in there, don't you? Because yeah. I think the problem with this film could have been what I thought it was going to be before I watched it. They're all a bunch of bumbling idiots, and I thought, well, yeah. he wouldn't be a criminal, but... 
they, they do ground it every now and again in real, in, in like what a criminal would do of trying to shut people up and stuff. Not just a laugh. And I think as well, you get the impression that they that several of them have worked together with with uh, like the Peter Sellers character. Henry has worked with Marcus before because he calls him Doc. Because yeah. no, not not Doc this time. He's Professor. And the Majors worked with Marcus as well. But the Herbert Lum's a new character. His character is new. Louis. He hasn't worked with them before, so he's kind of like he's been brought in for probably the because it's a big robbery to be the, the you know the, the the kind of the sinister one out of all money, and it fairly works. How many how many different names do they call the police in this film? Yeah, and yeah, and some of them I've never heard them terms for police before. Well, I wrote down two of them: it was Pokey and Bogey. Yeah, Bogey. I'd never heard of that before. Nah. But I always thought Bogey meant like a. I was never thinking like from the war meant like a, an enemy fighter. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So these are all 1950s kind of words that we don't know, which I, I quite like actually. When the police um, do come along to make sure, you know, they drop the case off and, well, not to drop the case off, but they, they pop back, see everything's all right. What I do like is that when you see them all hiding, Ali Guinness just hides behind one curtain in the hallway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just stands there hiding behind it. Like, if I, if I can't see you, you can't see me. Um, when they decide to kill her, um, they, she locks all the doors away. It's the major first who, who buggers off. Because when you think about it, there's £60,000 in this, £12,000 each. Now, in that time, I wonder how much that's worth. Uh, after the war as well. After we the still, war. They're still rationing, weren't they, then? Yeah, yeah. So you think about it. We're probably looking at a good... Oh, shall I see if I can find it? It's got to be 100 grand, in it? Or more, 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 more than that. It might be more well, than that, actually. Isn't it? It's, what, 60 yeah. years ago, 70 years ago... Nearly uh, 70 years ago. Yeah. 60, 1, 2, 3, in 1955. Let's see if Google... Uh, yeah. How much is that now? Okay. So, amount 60,000. 1, 2, 3. Calculate. 1... Oh, bloody hell. £1,584,561. That's a yeah. hell of a lot of money, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No wonder they all all desperate to get... Desperate to get away with you all. Um, <laughs> the way they go, she's been asking for it. Now, Herbert, this is this is Louis line in this. She uh, she has to go. She's been asking for it. She's probably been asking for it all her life. Yeah, yeah. And, and they they've only just met her. We've seen her throughout the film. Where's that? Yeah, she probably probably has. <laughs> um, the major escaping out the window. What do you think now? This is the build up for all of them dying. Do, do you like the way this is actually all built up? Yeah, yeah, a lot. That's a lot of this because a lot of the way they're clambering around on that that roof. Mm, that's oh yeah, yeah, yeah. About that. I, I like that. There was no. I don't think there was any stuntmen in this film, was there? No, 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 not at all. Because you don't actually. The, the funny thing is, is that you don't actually see anybody fall. Well, if like that, you don't see the major fall off. You just see he's suddenly not there, and then he's in the wheelbarrow. Uh, when they kill Henry, Peter Sellers' character again, you don't see that happen. Yeah. Uh, you don't see when one rain. One rain's just there one minute, and then the, the, it's all done with smoke with the, the you know the steam engine coming through. So you don't think the only one that you do see get killed is actually um, Professor Marcus when the sign hits him on the head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the weird thing because that I said it's like all silly, but like yeah, there's like four people murdered. Mm. That's the thing about what I'm what I'm what I liked about it. That I thought, oh, you know, you're going to see him like maybe not, but you know, he, the dude's insinuate that they'd murdered, and I yeah. like that in yeah. that, and that's what I like. And I like and I said it goes from funny. So far, bloody hell, he's murdered them. So back to being silly again. Yeah. I think British stuff can do that really, really well. Oh, yeah, and he does it without you questioning it. I do apologise to our listeners if you can hear my dog barking as well, yeah. which is slightly annoying, but oh, that's that's Skype for you. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, and the, 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 whole, the death with Marcus as well, did you see that coming? Or did you no, think he was going to get away with it? Well, obviously I knew from you talking about the film, and I knew from the remake... Oh, but I okay. didn't think it was going to be in it like that. I thought it was going to be done silly, you know, done quite yeah. silly. But it's not. See, this is it's a shame, really, that you saw the remake. I mean, it's a, I've, you know, the funny thing is, I've not seen the remake. So it's, it's like I said, it's okay. It's yeah. okay, but it's a very different. But it's a, it's the Coen Brothers, mm. so it's brilliantly wordy, but it loses some of that. It's very dark from the beginning, oh, and right, it doesn't. Okay. And, you know, Tom Hanks is good in it. Of course yeah. he's and like it's good, but it's just like I just thought it was very average. And when I and that's why I thought I ain't really bothered about watching the original if it's like that. But oh. watch it for bloody hell, it's like a it's like a league. It's in a different 
And it, it, does, it say, does it follow the same storyline? Basic storyline, yeah. Like I said, yeah. I saw it years. I watched it on the plane when I was coming back from America. Oh, so right. it's the basic premise. Yeah. Doing a job, and then you'll get killed off. But it's done in a lot more violent way, obviously, because you couldn't get away mm. with not showing it. But showing it sort of it loses something to me. Yeah, I think you. I think you're exactly right there because the, one of the great things about Reservoir Dogs is that you yeah. never see the ear get caught off, do you? And no. everyone thinks, yeah, you do. No, you don't. And that's I. Th- I sometimes think that's better because one, it leaves to your own imagination, and two, you're not an idiot. You, you know, you, you know something's happened happened there. Yeah. So presumably, you prefer the original than the remake. Uh, I, I didn't like the remake. It's okay. Nothing. Yeah. It's a Coen Brothers movie, so it's good on verbal brilliant, right? And I said, something's good. But it, it's not even in the same. It's far better than the original one. Like I said, that's a classic. That's been forgotten. And if you look at even the Coen brothers, when they talk about it, mm. they couldn't believe that they had a gun because they're big fans of the original. Yeah. And they, when they were saying that they couldn't, um, they couldn't justify it in the end. They said, even the look back at it now, they said, it's their great mistake they did with cinema. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, they thought they could do it. And, it, you know, they had everything. That, the constituent ingredients were right. Yeah. Budget, actors, mm. you know, Tom Hank film. With the Coen Brothers, you think it's on for a... But It'll the original's nice. so good, yeah. it, it can't ever do it. It's like <laughs> if they did Kind Art and Coronets, and it, it, mm. it... No, it, no. It, I don't care who you get. They could have Robert De Niro in the 70s, but it's not going to be fucking Alec Guinness, is it? No, no. I've just noticed you're a good lady wife standing behind you there. It might look like a TNG top. Oh, no, because we're going on the... Oh, that's a workout, yeah. Uh, I work out. We're going to start in a bit, so... Oh, very nice, very nice. But it's good the fact that it looks like a Star Trek TNG top. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, the whole thing at the end as well, where um, Mrs Wilberforce goes in and tells the police about the money, about the bank robbery, the fact they've been there, and they, they just look at her and go, well, you might as well keep the money, because yeah. clearly they don't believe her. It, no, that's what I was going to say. Is that... that that's what that is. Yeah. Because then I've only watched it once. That's what it is. That still thinks she's a fantasist from the beginning. Yeah. That's yeah. such a brilliant bookend to a film, isn't because it? What, why would why would an old woman have sixty thousand pounds in her room? The fact that the lolly, as she calls it. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, so so right from the beginning, you've heard this thing about the Martians, and that's the reason why that one copper turned around and goes, "Are you sure it wasn't the aliens that come and took it?" And yeah, the other yeah. way, the copper just looks at him like that. The only thing I don't like about that bit. And I know he's definitely 955. Is when uh, she's walking off, and the police constable comes back and goes, Stop, Mrs. Wilberforce. Yeah. And he's like, What's this? You know, and he goes, You forgot your umbrella. And he goes, Oh, no, you can keep it. I think I might buy another one. So yeah. I love the fact that she gets it. And unlike a lot of films, like with The League of Gentlemen, what we turned around and said, Sometimes you just want them to win. But of course, there was a, a stipulation in British cinema at that point where you couldn't show people getting away with armed robberies. The reason why such French films that came out at the same time where they do get away with armed robberies was so, so, so successful. But in this case, really, uh, they do get, well, she gets away with the money, even though she's not, she hasn't anything about it. You know, yeah, it's quite, yeah. it'd be quite interesting to see what she did. Uh, would you like some facts? Go on then. Okay. Um, William Rose wrote the screenplay for which he was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay and won the BAFTA Award for Best British Screenplay. He claimed to have dreamt of the entire film and merely had to remember the details when he awoke. Lucky bastard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to talk about the, um, the remake. Which we're talking about. Uh, the producers originally rejected director Alexander McIndrick's choice of Katie Johnson for the role of Mrs. Wilberforce on the grounds that she might be too frail for the project. And so they cast a younger actress who died before filming began. What? <laughs> um, according, to director, uh, according to the director and Alec Guinness, Mrs. Wilberforce's birds in the movie were voiced by Peter Sellers. Were they? Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, as the parrot flies out of the living room and into the hallway, it clearly says Alec Guinness as it lands. <laughs> oh, right. Um, okay, we talked about the Alistair Sim thing. Uh, the tunnel mouth is the south end of Copenhagen Tunnel, the second tunnel on the main line out of the King's Cross station. There are real houses in the area, but the rear exterior of Mrs. Wilberforce's house is a set built in front of a blank wall, which is what you were talking about. Yeah, exterior yeah. scenes at the front of the house were shot, as I said, on Argyle Street, about three a quarter of a mile south. The robbery at the beginning of the movie took place in Cheney Street, near its junction with Battle Bridge Road, immediately to the west of King's Cross station. So there you go, that's the facts. 
I already talked um, about Herbert. Did it, did it do well when it came out at the time? It did very well. Yeah, did very well. Um, Healing comedies always did well because it was light relief from rationing from the, the end of the war. Um, they'd also started to move away. Say this was the, the first film they did in Technicolor. So automatically it was going to make more money than all the other Healing comedies films. Um, this one, um, The Man in the White Suit, The Titfield Thunderbolt, um, these are all the ones that are generally classed as, and Kind Hearts and Coronets, all classed as the classic Ealing comedies, which is the reason why when you go and buy them on DVD, nine times out of ten, those are all together in a box set. Yeah. Um, there are some wonderful, I mean, there's, there's some crap films that Ealing have done. I was say crap. Where did they finish Ealing? You know what, I'm not too sure. I think they carried on up to the 70s, I think. Uh, but of course, they also branched out into television with the Ealing Studio Classics, uh, which was a little bit like ITV's Armchair Theatre. So you had a lot of well-known actors doing small kind of TV oh, series okay. under the banner. Um, I've been very tempted to buy some of those. Um, you know, they had um, network um, cinema. Yeah, did the, awesome. um, yeah, yeah. So I bought the I bought the Adventures of Gurney Slade uh, at the weekend. So oh, you bought it? it? Yeah, yeah, I did buy it. So how many is there on it? How many episodes? I think there's only seven. I don't think there's a lot. I don't. You know what? I bought it because I don't know anything about it. Yeah, and yeah. For, for me. When it comes to those kind of TV things, not knowing anything about it is is like a ball to a red flag. You know, I, I have to know. And I, I was quite impressed with the the clip that Network Air had showed. They got a bit of stick at the weekend because their web their website kept crashing. Well, and everyone was moaning. It's like, look, at the end of the day, you're all going on there trying to get forty percent off. Don't moan about it. Yeah, yeah you yeah, get yeah. it. Similar. So yeah, so once I get it, I'll watch it and I'll lend it to you. It is in a limited edition case. That's the only thing. It's like a hundred, a hundred. I think only a hundred made. I think yeah, anyway. It's I'm not interesting. No, we do. Do we know what we're doing next? <laughs> we don't do we? Because I said we go what we what we feel like, don't we? Because we was. I think this side of us trying to plan things is a waste of time because we we don't know what we're doing. Because very soon we're probably going to be able to get back to doing the podcast properly, aren't we? Oh, I hope so. In about yeah. the next probably next six weeks. Yeah, yeah. Well, schools um, go back next week, don't they? So, yeah, and then we got a month, and then April. I think by May. I think yeah. we should be able to be doing it properly again, wouldn't yeah, we? We're then allowed to have two households mixing, aren't we? Yeah. So I bought that. Just me and you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That means, so that, means I'll actually, that means I'll actually be able to sit with you at dinner time again. Yeah. <laughs> weird, isn't it? But I'm going to keep reading my book because I'm absolutely loving it. I'm, I'm flying through it. You know what I'm like. I'm not, I'm not a... I'm not one of the greatest prolific of readers, but I've read like four or five books over the past, past months and a half. Reading is about time. If you've got time, you'll read and read and read and read and read, and that's the way it is. You've well, got to find time. We're just having half and half an hour lunch break, so that even if I come and sit back and review again, I'm just going to carry on reading because yeah, you know yeah. it's, it's quite good, quite interesting. Okay, so what we'll do, we'll uh, we'll announce on our Facebook page what we're going to do next, and um, it'll be something unusual. Because what was the last one we did? Oh, we did. Um, what was the last one we did? Lost in translation. Lost in translation. So, and we've done oh, a couple. Yeah, so we've done a cut. We've done a couple of comedies. So maybe we might do a more serious one next time. Yeah, maybe something dark. Who knows? Depends what our mood is. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, probably Thor Hammer dark. Oh, let's not <laughs> let's not talk about work. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we'll stop. But we'll stop our recording, everybody. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. You've been listening to Waffle On. If you'd like to get in touch or join the mailing list, you can by emailing the guys at waffleonpodcast at gmail.com. You can also have some waffly fun by joining their Facebook page. Simply type in Waffle On Podcast in the search bar and away you go. This has been a Waffle On production. Copyright Simon Meddings and Mark C. Kelly. My first guest tonight is uh, one of the greatest actors living today, and this is probably the first time he's ever followed a giant fan. Uh, some of his motion pictures include The Bridge on the River Kwai, Lawrence of Arabia, Kind Hearts and Coronets, and of course Star Wars. He is also the author of this book right here. It's called Blessings in Disguise. Please welcome Sir Alec Guinness. Please watch your step. Come on up here. You'll be all right. Come on there. How are you?
fine. How are you? I'm, I'm just fine. Thank you very much for being here. I'm, I'm guessing you don't get a chance to see this television program no, I much. haven't seen it, except what I've just seen now. And, and, <laughs> and what was I'm your impression there? Oh, I absolutely mad about it. Oh, you thought that about was right? egg, egg shot, you know, that could yeah. go in the Museum of Modern Art <laughs> anytime. Uh, you're Sir Alec Guinness. Sure. And, and I can call you... Alec. Alec. Tell me about the ceremony at which you're, you're knighted. This is what happened, right? You, you were knighted. Oh, you, you know, you shuffle along with a lot of other people. Mm -hmm. And the Queen takes a sword, which is a little alarming, mm -hmm. and, <laughs> and gives you a tap on each shoulder. Mm -hmm. I mean, Kneel on one knee in front of her. How, how many and people that's are it. how many people are knighted at once? Oh, I don't know, half a dozen, uh -huh. ten maybe. Yeah. Do, you, do you remember the other folks you were knighted to I've with? Never heard of them since. No kidding. <laughs> you, you don't. Uh, there's no like uh, annual picnic or anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and uh, was this uh, like a really uh, a high point in your career to become knighted for your efforts? Well, I know it's a it's a very nice honor to sure. receive. There's no financial benefit. No money involved. No. You get a, a I'm guessing a plaque or a. No, not a thing. No kidding. No, but no, then, but from that a tap. a tap, and from that, and from that point on, you're Sir Alec. That's Gilles. right. Yes, yeah. and my wife becomes a lady at last. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great. Uh, but in no other privileges, nothing in no, the. Yeah. No. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about the book. Tell me about some of the some of the folks uh, that you've worked with. It's a pretty impressive list. Any way you want to start here. Uh, Ernie Kovacs, for example. Oh, I, I was devoted to Ernie Kovacs. Um, I, I mean, I only met him on, I met him afterwards, but on uh, the film of our man in Havana. Right. We met in Havana. And when I first met him, he got his head caught in the clapper, in the clapper boy's clapper. You know, every gag possible uh, was going on. I thought, oh, crap, we'll never get through this yeah. film. However, we became very good friends. And we had uh, our suites in the hotel were adjoining. One, one afternoon I went back, I suppose this is all right, saying this. Um, well, yeah, <laughs> one, after, should, one yeah, afternoon I went, I went back to my room and Ernie's door was open and he was sitting just inside the door at a table at a typewriter, he was always very busy, but lying around his room, unmistakably, were six very beautiful, totally naked girls reading magazines. Yeah. And I thought, hey, you know, um, and I said, Ernie, should I close your door for you? He said, no, 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 no. He said, if you close the door, he said, people would pass here and they'd say, Ernie Kovacs is in there with six broads. But if the door's open, you know, they know it's all perfectly all right. And yeah. <laughs> uh, and, uh, is, is this where you met uh, Ernest Hemingway or was that later? Uh, no, I did meet Ernest Hem Hemingway on that film uh, and became very good friends with him. Uh, briefly, alas, you know, two or three years later, he um, he died, um, and surprisingly enough, because he's a very different personality to, to me, or he was, um, I think we got on very well, uh, and he gave dinner to my wife and myself and Noel Kyer. Where was one, he living at this point? In Cuba, mm -hmm. um, and he took a great shine that evening against Noel Coward, and at the end of dinner, he was, he was perfectly polite, but a bit grumbly and gruff under it. Had he been drinking pretty strong? No, 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 no. And he said to me, come along with me, and then he said, I can't stand any more of that inane, coward, wing-finger-wagging, stupid dog. And, and, had, and he said, of course, I, I, I could possibly, you know, I could kind of punch him. And then, he, <laughs> then, then, then he looked at some stuffed animal heads on his wall, yeah. you know, great beasts from Africa and so on. And he said, you all, but then you always kill the thing you love. Hmm. I don't think I love him. No, <laughs> Just rough him up a little bit. <laughs> That's right. Now yeah. this is, uh, you know, looking back on it, uh, even then, this is a pretty heavyweight dinner party. Yourself, the host is uh, Ernest Hemingway, and, yeah. and another one of the guests is... Uh, Graham Greene. Yeah, Graham Greene, and... and uh, uh, who else was there? I have to look in the book and find And, and Noel Coward. And what did you guys, what were you eating? Do you remember what was... I can't, no recollection of what it was at all. That's a pretty heavyweight table. Pretty impressive. Uh, let's do a commercial here, and then we'll continue, and uh, maybe uh, you can throw something at the fan if you like. We'll wheel it back out here for you. We'll be back with Alec Guinness. A lot of 
get a lot of cats? Hemingway, were there cats everywhere? House cats running around all over the place? I don't remember. I don't remember that. Tell me about, uh, we were talking the, the other day about uh, Ralph Richardson. And, and somebody, I think it was Bill Wendell, had mentioned the story about how, uh, uh, they were, again, at a party, he came in and did something to you. Do you know what I'm talking about? Is that... Well, it wasn't a party. Um, it was in Madrid. And I'd been alone for a week filming. He'd been away with his wife. Came back, and I thought, oh, I'll ask them out to dinner. And they said, no, I can't come to dinner, but um, if you'd like to come around to our hotel, we'll give you an omelette. An omelette. So, <laughs> so, so I... So I went round rather early, and there was a, a waiter arrived at the door at the same time as I did, big vestibule to, to their suite, and his wife opened the door and said, come in, and Ralph suddenly appeared and came straight up to me and said, who can you hit except your friends? And before I knew where I was, he'd punch me on the jaw and, and knock me out flat on the ground. You know. And then he retired into another room and went firmly asleep. He was very tired, of course. Uh, <laughs> and uh, that was it? That was, that, the was that was it. I had my omelette in silence. Unsuspiciously. Uh -huh. uh -huh. This must have been a very strange man. Oh, he was a very... He was a dear man. I was devoted to him. And he died, what, a couple of years ago. Um, but he was an eccentric. I was in a show with him once in, in London, and you can tell how long ago it was, because I was playing the juvenile. Um, <laughs> and, and in the last act, I a quick change into evening clothes, white tie, tails, and evening shoes. And he came to me after performance and said, your shoes squeak. And well, I knew they did, you know, something, you know how mm -hmm. they can, the evening shoes. He said, do do something about it. And I said, well, I've tried. I've put Vaseline on, I've dampened, nothing seems to happen. Anyway, the next evening, when I came to do my quick change into my evening, they couldn't find my evening shoes, searched everywhere. Then my dresser found them in a bucket of water uh, in, a, in a corner of the room. And so, I, all right, I put them on, and I squelched through, <laughs> through the line. Uh, he didn't like that. The result of that was that I got a very, very heavy cold, almost pneumonia, and I was off for about... Three or four days. Yeah, but they didn't, I, they didn't squeak, though, did they? No, no, no he'd done it, of course. <laughs> and when, I, when yeah. I got back, I went to his room and I said, Ralph, I'm sorry I was off, but I did have this ghastly cold. <laughs> and he said, have you been off, old fellow? I didn't notice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is going to sound, this may sound strange to you, but I bet you've heard it before. You have the most beautiful eyeballs of anybody I've ever seen in my life. What? They're, abs they're absolutely... What? what are you talking about? Your eyes, you have... The, the color oh. is lovely, and they're just very oh. nicely... Uh, oh, that's very good. Those are not bad. No, mine are just run-of-the-mill eyeballs, but you're, I'm, I'm serious. If you ever get a chance to look this man real close in the face, and, in fact, after the show, if you have some time... Uh, all right, let's talk a little bit about uh, Star Wars. Now, when they first asked you to be in that film, did you, you, were you reluctant to, to participate in the film? Did you no, know anything about I mean, the... I, I knew about American Graffiti... Sure. I admired very much. George Lucas? And, uh, and I'm quiet about George Lucas. And they, uh, I was in Hollywood, and the, the end of making a, a film. What was the film? Murder by Death, it was called. Uh -huh. um, Not as big as Star Wars, was it? No, no. Yeah. no. <laughs> and there was a script on my dressing table, and um, I saw George Lucas's name, and that I knew had, you know, was potential there. And then I opened it and I thought, oh my God, it's, you know, it's science fiction mm -hmm. and it's not going to be for me. But I'll read a little bit. And I started reading. I didn't think the dialogue was very good. But it held me from page to page. Mm -hmm. And the next day I met with Lucas. We had lunch together. I liked him enormously. And, you know, shortly after that he said, would I come and play that part? Yeah. Which was one of the luckiest things has come my way. It, it must be, uh, not being an actor, I don't know if this is true, but it must be very satisfying to you know that a line from that movie that your character spoke uh, is now part of uh, movie legend and w will forever sustain. Mm. Mm. Do it. <laughs> my beautiful eyeballs glaze over. <laughs> May the force be with you. Oh, thank you. That's, 
Now, do you mind that? that maybe, maybe you're tired of that, huh? I am a bit. A little bit weary of that. All right, I'm sorry. That, by, by the way, that wasn't the line I was talking about, but thanks anyway. I, I was... Um, where, where are you living now? I live in I live in southern England uh -huh. in, the, and, uh, in the country and a uh, very comfortable. Uh, no, very simple. Very, very simple. simple way. Yeah. yeah, sure. What do you have hobbies and so forth? Mm, no, I read a lot. Read a lot. Uh, I look after my dogs. What kind of dogs do you have? Well, they're both mongrels. One thinks she's a uh, a bearded collie, <laughs> and the other thinks that he's a Labrador. Yeah. But they're not quite. Yeah. They look kind of like. Them. What are the names there? The names? It's awfully embarrassing asking about the names of pets. Yeah, I know. We, you can run into that. I'll tell you the names of mine. All right. All right. And uh, they're, I guess they're embarrassing. One is Bob. Oh, and the other one is Stan. Oh, strange. Stan, Absolutely yeah. strange. Yeah. Well, my bearded collie is called Bluebell. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bluebell? Mm -mm. And, and the Labrador type. Is called Japheth. Japheth. Mm. Well, my wife and I squabble about this. I say Japheth, and uh -huh. she says Japhet. Uh -huh. So he gets called those two different names. Yeah. But he's not really confused. But they're great dogs. Oh, yeah, well. <laughs> uh, and the book, I'm guessing the book is doing quite well for you. In England, very well. Yeah. I hope it'll be all right here. Uh, Alec Guinness, uh, Blessings in Disguise. Jeez, it was a pleasure meeting you, and uh, thanks for putting up with this nonsense. Oh, thanks so much. Sir Alec Guinness, we'll be uh, right back.